I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. Thursday, May 25th, 2017, episode 10, Our Adventures in Retro Computing. So, <laughs> um, we were talking about what to what to call this episode and um and oh, actually what to even talk about in this episode because we wanted to make it special um you know it being our 10th episode and everything and so i thought that um actually chris you had the great idea of talking about our 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 retro rigs but then we thought why don't we why don't we take it back a little bit and talk about our just our general uh whole adventure into into DOS gaming, into DOS itself, uh, and into everything that is retro. And maybe we'll leave the uh, the retro rigs for later. So, um, so yeah, that's what that's what brought us up to uh, to do this episode and and why we're calling it that. Um, and another thing, I can't believe we got to episode ten. This is amazing! Yeah. Hooray! <laughs> Yay! Um, and I I think what makes this one special is we've had a consistent streak of researching things that. Um, while they're interesting, we're not really nostalgic for them. Um, so it's kind of a, gee, I wish we were there to experience that. Let's see if we can experience it now and talk about it. But this stuff, we lived, we we grew up with, we had a lot of fun with it. This is where, for us, in the computing world, things felt like magic. Um, felt like, I don't know, just we still had some childlike wonder when it came to setting this stuff up and playing with it. And we covered some of this with our previous episode. So this one kind of continues on that with uh, going back to our roots and setting up uh, retro machines to play with now. And our adventures in um, the setup of those and what we did with them. Sure, yeah. It's, it's really exciting to talk about it for me. Um, I, I, I love this stuff. Um, w- when I was a kid, this was my passion. And... Uh, and now being uh, more grown up, uh, uh, although my wife could probably uh, um, <laughs> contest that. Um, I don't know. There's just something about computers that uh, that uh, it's just not the same as it used to be. I I used to just be mesmerized by everything, and any time I I had the chance to get new hardware, it was it it was amazing. And now when I get new hardware, it's it's okay. You know, I, I still get that little, little, little kick, but, um, it's, it's not the same. Uh, back then was just something, something mesmerizing about it. And, um, and I, and that's why I wanted to go back. And that's why I actually, Chris, I, I was, I was wanting you to get a DOS machine for the longest time because I really wanted to do this thing together, uh, to build our DOS rigs. Um, I was, on the forums on Facebook, uh, actually Retro Machines, which is a gr- great uh, g- uh, group of people there, uh, really helpful uh, group. And uh, and you know what? After after joining that group, I realized I'm not alone in this. You know, there are other people out there that really do appreciate old technology and that era that was so special to me. Uh, there's other people also collecting. Uh, and and building these machines and troubleshooting and playing games with them and and everything so uh, that just encouraged me to go out there and and build my own machine even though dosbox can do probably most of everything that I that I wanted to do with dos 
um, as far as just playing games, I mean, you know, playing online and things like that, um, it's to me, it wasn't the same. I needed hardware. I needed something that I could feel. And um, and then seeing the, the, the people put put up pictures and everything of their hardware and I've recognized almost everything that really made me want to get my own. And, you know, another great thing, too, is that it's helped me to do some research on stuff that I didn't know back then. Um, for example, sound cards. Uh, I would just get whatever was given to me. Uh, and I really uh, couldn't really I didn't really know the difference. Um, being a child back then and everything to me, two front stereo speakers sounded great enough, uh, good enough. Uh, so so learning about the stuff now about all the technology back then and sound card especially um, and the uh, capabilities of DOS that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Um, that, that was great. Just being able to learn about stuff that was possible even back then with that same technology that mesmerized me when I was, a when I was a kid. So I remember when you started playing with this stuff and I've known, known about and used DOSBox for quite a long time. And you started talking about, Hey, I'm building a DOS machine. And, um, as you said, you started to encourage me to do it. And I don't quite I think I wasn't really into the idea at first um, until you started getting me to think about, wait, how can we play this multiplayer? How can we play these old IPX games multiplayer? And it's for some reason, whenever there's the, the, even the idea of we can play a game together, I will, I will go out of my way. I will put in the time. I'll put in the effort. Sometimes I'll put in the money and, it's just so much more fun like that. And so that's what got me into building a DOS machine with you. And I'm glad I did. So uh, what what got you into it? What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to build a DOS rig? Well, I mean, so besides seeing those pictures, um, I just got really motivated. Um, I was, those pictures motivated me and I, I was going on eBay and I saw that the parts weren't that expensive to build. And I immediately started thinking about what kind of machine I could build that could do uh, that could play most of the games that I wanted to and I say most because there's some older games uh, from the 80s that were very CPU cycle dependent uh, that are um, probably would run actually a little bit too fast on my machine although I use a program called MoSlow which uh, helps to slow down um, the uh, the CPU cycles, but um, and and I'm actually not able to remove the cache or anything like that on uh, or disable the cache on on my BIOS. I have a Dell, um, and they're very restricted on the BIOS. But um, but the the application for the most part works on these older uh, games. However, my intention was to build a machine that was. Uh, that was good overall. I wanted to build something that I could play most games from the early 90s all the way to the um, early to mid 2000s. So it's kind of a, it's pretty broad there, but I wanted to be able to play DOS games and I wanted to be able to play Windows 98 games, including 3D accelerated games. Um, so I, uh, I started picking out parts that would be adequate uh, for that. So that was my target. Um, uh, that's, and as soon as I started looking at processors, you know, uh, Pentium 2s, uh, I was actually, at first I was looking for a Pentium uh, 133, 133 megahertz. I read somewhere on on, uh, on the forums and Google um, 
that uh, that the Pentium 133 is the is one of the ideal most ideal CPUs uh, for for DOS gaming. But uh, that was actually for DOS, and then I thought, well, I'd like to put in some, I'd like to mix it up with some Windows games too, and so I started looking at Pentium twos for that, and um, and I settled on a Pentium two 350 megahertz. Um, I found a great deal on it on, on eBay. Uh, it actually came with the, the case and everything. It was a Dell V350. Uh, it came with the motherboard that, and the motherboard already had a video card and uh, had a, it actually had a ATI Rage 3D 8 megabyte built in. And it had a, uh, I believe it was a Yamaha chip audio chip built into the motherboard too. And, um, and it had the, it came with a processor, um, heatsink, uh, case, CD drive, everything except a hard drive. So I, I got really lucky. I bought that whole thing for, I think it was no more than $25 um, shipped. So that was just amazing. Um, I bought it from, uh, I believe it was a recycler. And um, and I cleaned it all up. When I when I got it here, I cleaned it all up. It was really, really, really dirty. Um, I And as soon as I started cleaning it up, it was it was just like magic again. I, I it was like the machine that I had back in I want to say maybe 1998. I had one like this, and um, and and so I was just cleaning it up and then and, and got really excited. So uh, since then I've done a, a quite a few upgrades to it, but we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, another thing that got me into uh, into this was the well. Once I got you into it, I got even more into it, and so um, it was the it was the challenge. It was the challenge on of of how do we play together. So we've always we like playing video games together, and unfortunately now we have a some distance between us as far as we live in different cities. So how do we get to play together on older systems? Now, of course, we could use uh, DOSBox and everything, but. The challenge was how do we play this stuff on DOS machines? And Chris, I think this is where you did a fantastic job on figuring this out. I all I did was just you know put the challenge out there. I want to play video games with you. That's it. And I think you just you you did a fantastic job of figuring this out. So to back up a little bit, I do want to briefly discuss that, but not in sure. full depth because I do want to save the details of that for a future episode. Um, mm-hmm. One thing. A few things that I really enjoy about being into uh, about getting into retro computing is when when you build PCs as a gamer, you spend tons and tons of money on the best and the greatest hardware, and you have about four to five, maybe six years on playing modern games before you have to start replacing parts of it, and then maybe if you're lucky, eight to ten years you have to replace the whole thing, but when it comes to retro rigs, you can pick a period in time. Uh, like you were saying, you wanted to play games from the um, early 90s, late 80s to the uh, maybe very early 2000s. And what we have now, for example, for DOS gaming is an incredibly overpowered machine for that era. Um, so with the exception of those few games from the 80s that are very CPU dependent, DOS-wise, there's there's nothing we can't play. And time will go by, and we'll still be able to, to play those games on that hardware, and nothing can take that away from us. 
and we don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to do it. And when when you break that that need for having the newest and the latest and the greatest, uh, it becomes so much more fun because so many of these games I never played. I never experienced. I mean, yes, I had nostalgia for a lot of the classics, but there's a massive library out there that I just didn't have and so many games that I played and just didn't beat. So from that perspective, I find that much more gratifying and I find the longevity of the fun that I get out of it much longer than if I got back into building a modern gaming rig. Uh, I completely agree with you, Chris. Um, it was it was definitely about picking the right time period, uh, uh, for me anyway. It was about picking that time period and just kind of sticking to it, uh, sticking with it. Um, I... I just wanted the best machine that would that would play the the games from that time period, and I'm not worried about ever upgrading it again. It's it could be there for as long as it can be there, and uh, and I don't really need to to install anything else on it. I can leave the operating system the way it is. Um, there's nothing else that it will really need. Um, the modifications that I've done has just been to kind of alter the time period a little bit, uh, but it hasn't been anything that was n- really necessary. I could have done the same thing with the older hardware that I had, um, and um, and it would have just it would have ran just fine. But you know, I I just I wanted to do more with with my DOS rig, and so uh, well, I guess I guess uh, I might as well go into that now. Um, so uh, after I had my Pentium two three fifty, I wanted to go ahead and and actually actually what really got me into. Uh, upgrading my DOS rig to a little bit more appropriate time for what I wanted was I was playing Quake 2. Uh, no, Quake 1, I'm sorry. <laughs> Quake 1 for DOS, and I was having a hard time running Quake 1 at uh, 1024 by 768 which is a higher resolution than even what I played uh, what I played it at back then, which is, I believe I played at standard VGA, 320 by 240 And so... Um, I wanted to play it uh, at, at these really high resolutions, and the game has the option to. Uh, I never really bothered with it back then, but now I just I got curious. So because of that, I wanted to upgrade the machine to a uh, Pentium 3, that, and so that would be fast enough to be able to run DOS Quake at 1024 by 768. Um, unfortunately, that made some of those older games run too fast. So I have to use that most slow program, but for the most part, that's okay. And it runs Windows 98 games great, and uh, and I'm able to play some of the early 2000 games as well. Um, so it's a Pentium 3, uh, actually 700 megahertz, which is uh, you know a little bit faster than for the the needed for DOS games. Uh, actually, plenty for DOS games. It's overkill for DOS games, but Quake 3, uh, Quake 1. I'm sorry, uh, Quake 1, 1024 by 768 and even 1280 by 1024 it plays it pretty well um pretty smooth um i don't know if it's 60 frames per second but probably so uh that was a slight upgrade that i made on my machine um so that uh then i got it just right i i feel like i just needed a little bit of tuning um so that that's uh uh, that's about it i mean i changed the sound card and things like that but i (laughs) I don't know, Chris, if you want to talk about your machine first, because uh, sure. uh, I can talk about my sound card for a while. <laughs> Can't we all? Yeah. All right. Um, so the first retro machine I had, I got a couple of years ago now, I think. And 
On eBay, I found a fully functional IBM Aptiva 2137. It was made in 1997, has an AMD K6 233, and I guess 32 megs of RAM when I got it. It was running Windows 95. Um, it was really fun to boot it up for the first time, as it was. Um, the hard drive made terrible noises and was definitely on its last leg, but it still booted. The Windows 95 logo came up, and it even had a sticker made for Windows 95 on it. And the desktop was cluttered with all the old classics, Real Player, AIM, AOL, um, and I. It, it was cringeworthy and nostalgic at the same time. And then I promptly removed the hard drive and stuck a different hard drive in there and um, got DOS going. But then, and I guess we can go into more DOS details in a bit, but I want to get through the hardware first. Uh, but then... I decided I really didn't like the hard drive noise. Those older hard drives, they they were just loud sometimes. I think mine was a Seagate or something. And uh, so I did some research and I found out that a device exists that converts an SD card to work with an IDE port. It's called an SD to IDE adapter. And it's this little Raspberry Pi sized board with an IDE uh, port on it and an SD card on the front. And a Molex power adapter. I think it, it, it can also take the uh, floppy power adapter as well. And for DOS, that is a fantastic way to go. I mean, granted, it doesn't have any cache on it like regular hard drives do, but you don't really notice it with DOS. And in fact, many operations feel just way faster, uh, especially if you use a good class 10 SD card. And since those older file systems like FAT16 and FAT32 um, are notorious for uh, fragmentation. Fragmentation is not an issue when you're using an SD card because it is a solid-state media. Fragmentation is only an issue when you have a spinning drive with a drive head, and defragging a drive optimizes it so the drive has to rotate as few times as possible for the head to find the data that it wants to find. Well, there's no head, no spinning, fragmentation doesn't matter, so you never have to defrag. So I wanted to just comment there. Um... I, I know that your solution is is uh, it's it's awesome. It's neat. Uh, I see a lot of people uh, going that route with uh, using the SD card. Um, I actually did not go that route, but it's only because I really like to hear the hard drive clicking sound. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it where I need to hear it, and so that's that's the only reason why I still use my my computer with the with the. I actually have two hard drives in there. A master and a slave, just like I did back then. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> nice. And uh, so then you started playing with Windows 98. You definitely have a, um, I don't know, you're kind of pulling me along with this hobby, and I'm glad for it. Um, so you started playing with Windows 98, and um, our friend Erica, who we've had on the show, uh, we were hanging out one weekend. Um, over at her house, and she still has a lot of stuff from her childhood. One of those was a Compaq, uh, let me look at the model, a Compaq Presario 5204, uh, made in 1998, I think it was. It's an AMD K6 2400, and it came running Windows 98. And so far, it's been the perfect little machine for both DOS gaming and... Uh, running Windows 98. It runs Windows 98 far better than the IBM Aptiva does, and unlike the Aptiva, does not have an 
gigabyte hard drive um, size limit. So I don't have to deal with drive overlay software. Um, and then after that, you got me into better sound cards. Um, all this time, I've only ever had a Sound Blaster 16. I, mean, I thought that was, that was just the standard. If you're, if you're using a computer back then, you had a Sound Blaster 16. I had no appreciation for how much better game music could sound. And then you started talking about uh, wavetable cards and um, then started showing me samples um, uh, and comparisons of games like TIE Fighter and uh, Descent that have wavetable support. And it's like, it's like these games are new again. It's like experiencing them for the first time because the music sounds more realistic. And uh, today... Everything is just done with pre-sampled sounds or all done in software. But back then, your hardware mattered. There were hardware channels, and um, all the stuff was done in hardware, and it really made a difference. Right. Um, the first time that I heard, uh, uh, what was it? I think it was Descent. When I had installed uh, Descent, and I, um, I, I, I actually, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I was on... I was on the forums to to find the um, the perfect sound card, and uh, there was a gentleman. His name is Carlos. I actually forgot his last name. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. Um, but he recommended an OPL. Th- uh, I believe it was an OPL three sound card. Um, anyway, that's the chip that it uses to uh, de- to decode um, to decode the the MIDI sounds. And so he had recommended a Sound Blaster sixteen uh, CT. Oh boy, I think it was CT eighteen hundred. I I want to say uh, perhaps it's uh, it was a little bit different. I actually have it here. I could probably look it up right now. Um, I have it right here. Let's see. Was I wrong? Yep, I was wrong. Okay, so the sound blaster that he recommended was the twenty two ninety, which I be I believe actually doesn't have. An, it's not an OPL three. It's an OPL two. So um, so this this board right here. Is uh, that I'm holding in my hand actually. <laughs> uh, it it has the uh, the original OPL that um, that they were using to reproduce music back then, and so um, so the, the later on they started using um, emulated sound. So Creative was using a uh, an emulated chip. Um, great. Now I forgot what the name of that chip was. Uh, so I'll have to look that one up too. But um, so they were using emulation. So they started. Uh, they had an OPL three, and uh, and were using emulation for uh, for the rest. So so that way they could consolidate chips, and it would cost less money and things like that. Uh, however, this particular Sound Blaster sixteen had the original OPL. So um, or OPL two. I'm sorry. So that's why um, that's why I, I believe that's. That's the one that, uh, that's why he had recommended this one. Uh, and another reason why he recommended it, it was because I don't have to mess with drivers in this one. Uh, see, DOS would just, actually, not just DOS, it was the, it's the machine itself would recognize the audio coming from that port, and then that's it. You, you don't have to set any, you don't have to bother with, uh, with um, DMA, you don't have to bother with uh, IRQ or anything, because you actually set that up on the board itself there's these jumpers there that you set so um so so you you specify uh the irq settings the dma and things like that and uh and then every game would just pick it up if you if you just select sound blaster that's it it just uh it it would automatically pick it up because it's all done through hardware just like you had mentioned um so this is one of those cards and you don't have to fuss with any drivers or anything like that as a matter of fact 
you don't even have to install any drivers. You can just install plain old DOS and your sound card will work because the game will will have that the ability to talk to that sound card already built in. So um, so that was very neat. So why was it that we had to add the uh, um, SB16 specific stuff in our config sys and auto? Is that bad if not for the drivers? Was it just for the mixer settings? Um, Sound Blaster 16 was also for compatibility. So a lot of games would, um, and it would also sound uh, great too, but a lot of games would say something like Sound Blaster or compatibles. And by compatibles, they meant clones. Um, so that way, uh, and actually this all came from the ad lib. See, uh, you had, you had the ad lib, uh, you had the ad lib sound cards first and then Sound Blaster came out with their Sound Blaster board that would be ad lib compatible. So later on, everything was Sound Blaster 16, um, ad lib fell out of grace, you know, they did their ad lib, they had their ad lib gold and everything, but the Sound Blaster 16 kind of took over, and so game, uh, programmers were building their games for the Sound Blaster 16, and then you had their compatibles, uh, uh, you know, like the, the, there was some sound card, uh, made by, um, later on they, they had some sound cards made by Insonic, and, um, and some, some other ones, uh, made, made sound cards, um, Gravis made their uh, ultrasound sound card, and 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 then um, you had a few others, but uh, but yeah, I picked the Sound Blaster 16 because of compatibility. I wanted every game to be able to have at least when you go into the setup, you'd see Sound Blaster as a choice, and you could just select that. So that was my my aim there. I wanted the broadest compatibility possible because I know for sure that the Sound Blaster 16 that I have here is not the best possible sound. Uh, I've seen people use Gravis Ultrasound with uh, Roland uh, uh, MT. Oh boy, I knew this. I <laughs> uh, MT thirty one. Yikes! Looking it up. Uh, yeah. Um, MT, uh, Roland MT thirty two. Sorry. Yep. See, I said thirty one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, MT thirty twos, and those sound really, really good. Um, that combination right there is a killer combination, actually. Uh, you get the kind of the best of both worlds uh, with as far as MIDI, MIDI sounds, wavetable, and things like that. Um, but anyway, so that's that's why I picked the Sound Blaster um, 16, just for compatibility's sake. It should also be pointed out that the Roland MT32 is not easily emulated under DOSBox. So that's one of those experiences that it's really best just to have the actual hardware for. The hardware, right. Um, and actually back then I didn't even know how to hook one up. Now I see that it's, it's not that big of a deal, but back then it was something that was mind blowing to me, not to mention it was expensive. So my parents weren't, weren't going to get me one or anything like that. So I had to just deal with my, my sound card, which actually back then, um, <laughs> I don't even think I had a sound blaster 16. Now that I, now that I think about it, I think I had another, another one made by, made by a different company. might've been a compatible. So it sounded good enough, but you know, now I can buy the sound blaster and I did, um, so that was, that was OPL and MIDI. Um, but then, then I started to read up on, uh, wavetable sound, which, uh, the Sound Blaster, uh, 32 and the AW32, uh, they, they were doing, um, they were experimenting with, uh, wavetable sound and, and, um, and then some games started to come out with AW32 support. And so I, and I think the, the first game that I saw that was Duke Nukem 3D, on the setup screen, you can choose AW32. So I was thinking, wow, I have a Sound Blaster 16, but I could have an AW32. And so, of course, I wanted the best AW32 out there, which is incredibly expensive. Um, and so I was I was looking into other 
uh, um, other sound cards that I could get. My main thing was I went on YouTube and I um, and I and I uh, typed in uh, on on I, I I was researching what what Duke Nukem sounds like with an A32, and it sounded completely different than what I was listening to on my machine. So and it sounded way better. And, uh, and that's when I started looking, really looking into getting a different sound card. Uh, so it, it's crazy that I'm over here upgrading a DOS machine, uh, with other retro hardware, but it, it happened. So, um, and I'm sure a lot of people have, have the same, the same thing when they have some set of hardware and they end up uh, upgrading actually just like you did, um, with your thing, I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about it later. Um, but yeah, when I heard uh, Duke Nukem 3D sound uh, with Wavetable, uh, with Wavetable sound using the R32, I was amazed. So I started doing a little bit of research, and I settled on a Sound Blaster um, 64, AW64. It's not the gold. Um, the golds are also pretty expensive, but my Sound Blaster AW64 is uh, it's pretty good, and it makes uh, Wavetable sound. Uh, really great. The only bad thing, of course, is now I'm using emulated OPL sound for uh, for er- earlier games. So I actually have both sound cards now, the Sound Blaster 16 and the Off 64. <laughs> That's the other fun thing about about this hobby is that you can tinker infinitely and there's, there's no consequence to it. Because, well, one, uh, computers today, they're not as tinkerable with. Um, I mean, yes, you can build a a new rig and have something that you can upgrade and play with. But with these, it's so cheap. And since you're never using it as your main PC, there's little consequence to it. Uh, the worst that happens is um, you break something and move on and get another one for cheap. Right. Or uh, even if you break the... Uh, that And that's hardware. You, even if you hose the operating system, you know, big deal. Format it, start over. Um, it's not like we're using it to work or anything. So, um, so it's, it's great. Something else that's interesting too, is we can do things now with, with MS-DOS and other retro operating systems that we couldn't do back then when they were the dominant operating systems. For example, uh, MTCP, the TCP stack for MS-DOS, I mean, sure, there may have been a TCP stack back then. I know uh, Microsoft certainly had one. But MTCP, um, as far as I know, was under active development until 2015. And not only is it a TCP stack, but it also comes with an an FTP server. So instead of having to do the floppy shuffle, uh, where you take floppies and to to transfer all sorts of... um, uh, to transfer larger files... Um, or burning stuff to a CD and then putting it in the DOS machine, you can start up an FTP server on your DOS machine and transfer stuff to it that way. And that makes it so much easier to back up your DOS setup as well. Um, It also comes with an IRC client, and I think it even comes with a web server, uh, a basic Telnet client, which uh, we both used when we did our episode on BBS servers. Um, so from, from that perspective, it's, it's really neat to see how far people have taken these ancient operating systems. I, I agree. And that's only the T- MTCP stack. Uh, they also have, um, uh, how, about the, how about the developments on 4DOS? Uh, that's great. Uh, you can now uh, you know, push the, the up arrow and have 
um, your previous command uh, auto complete. Uh, you can do tab and where it would um, where it would uh, auto complete what uh, you know what you're looking at in the directory. Um, this is some really great tools that uh, I've used it before in Windows. I've used it in Linux, but never in DOS. And it's amazing that now they exist for DOS too. So, um, so I'm really glad that there was some uh, development being done. Uh, and, and I think there is still some current development uh, being done. And actually, my, my system now consists of uh, MS-DOS 7, uh, 7.1 with uh, Windows 98 also, but I have the, the, select, the selectable menu. And my selectable menu, oh, and uh, I do have to say thank you so much, Phil's Computer Lab. Phil's from Phil, Phil's Computer Lab. Um, absolutely. Thank you for... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've been a really, really great resource. So thank you. Um, with the tutorials on on building the uh, the menus, I used to have menus back then, uh, but but these are way better with the conventional memory, with the expanded memory, and everything. I'm able to choose which one I want, and uh, and that that makes uh, gaming a lot easier. Um, so and actually, one of the I modified it to where one of the um, options that I have is the MS-DOS full suite, and I'm talking about uh, network drivers um, with the MTCP stack, um, OS64 drivers. Um, I have, I even have USB drivers in that one. Uh, I have, um, you know, mouse and CD-ROM drive and all that stuff uh, for DOS loaded, uh, everything, and it doesn't really consume that much memory, so I can run almost any game. Uh, it's great. It just maybe takes a little bit of time for it to load, but uh, it's it's really my my favorite config there. Uh, out of all of them, it is just, just loads all of the stuff. You know, it, it's great. And I think at even even at the end, I have it to where in my auto exec file, I have it running Volkov Commander. So uh, I just I just select which uh, which directory I want to be at. It's all it's kind of kind of GUI-ish based, GUI-ish based, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's great. And uh, I think I'm at. 578k, I want to say, of uh, of, of um, expanded memory. So um, so not too bad, not too bad for for loading everything. So I put in my USB uh, thumb thumb driver and it detects it as a as a hard drive and everything. So uh, really neat stuff. Would you mind if I briefly talk about the our um, efforts in playing uh, um, DOS games across the internet? Oh, go ahead. Uh, this is this is. Uh, one of the uh, to me it's it's an achievement you know if if our lives had little uh little xbox tags that had the <laughs> achievements come up that would be an achievement right there <laughs> so that was great yeah go ahead i'll keep the explanation brief older dos games use a networking protocol called ipx and uh, i also think called spx and i don't fully understand how those protocols work but Back then, if you had two machines that were IPX capable and wanted to play a game and they were both on the same network, they would automatically show it to each other and you could play. However, this was pre-TCP, uh, pre-IP and pre-TCP. And that means that these protocols are not routable and can't go through the internet. So what we did was we set up an open VPN connection um, that there are two types. TUN and TAP. Uh, TUN works at layer 3, the IP level. Hang on, let me double check that because I always get my OSI model wrong. Layer 3, layer 3, layer 3, layer 3. Yes, layer 3 is the IP level, but TAP works at layer 2, which is kind of at the, um, the uh, 
it's the data link layer, the basically the uh, switch level. And so what it did was made it as if we were on the same switch, as if we trunked our switches together across the internet. And that way we can play our DOS games without having to have DOS have any notion of um, of IP or TCP. Oh. That's, that's it. Um, okay. And, and I guess uh, in a later episode, I'll, I, I, I would love to go into the nitty-gritty details of how we did that. But yeah, that was, that was a super fun project. Oh, and I'm so glad that, uh, that, uh, that you were able to figure it out. Um, you know, that was, that was so great that we're able to play, uh, all these DOS games, Doom, Duke Nukem, Descent, everything that's multiplayer, that's IPX routable, uh, or, uh, yeah, IPX, that IPX. uses the IPX. IPX, yeah. but the, technically not routable. Not routable. So that uses the IPX network, um, that we were able to play, um, online even though even though you're you're in a completely different city than i am uh that that's just great our computers just they don't even know <laughs> yeah <laughs> they and, think they're in the same room and the internet is fast enough now i mean back then uh we had what 10 gigabit links um no not not 10 gigabit what i'm thinking 10 megabit links um right 10 megabit. and now we're we're pushing 10 megabits o- over the internet i mean sure the latency may be a little bit higher uh which I think might affect us with some games where, like Duke Nukem, will get out of sync sometimes. But uh, really, we've hardly had any issues with it. Hardly, yeah. Well, it has, it has, it's been negligible. Um, but playing, uh, what was one of those really fun uh, times we played? Uh, I know Duke Nukem has been incredibly fun to play Descent uh, together. Uh, Descent has been incredibly fun to play together. Uh, even playing Blood was fun. Um, so, so I'm, I'm so glad that, that, uh, that you got that running, Chris. That was, that was great. We still haven't figured Worms out. Uh, uh, for some reason, Worms had some weird keyboard issue. Like, only one of us could use the keyboard at a time, even though it's set up for, um, like, it would be bound to just my keyboard, even though it's, was specifically made for IPX network play. Uh, so my, my keyboard would work and would control you when it was your turn but you couldn't use yours to control you when it was your turn it was very strange perhaps it's more of the the game's issue though than it is the actual network maybe maybe we should ask that in the uh, retro computing facebook page they might know something about it they might also a huge thank you to the retro computing facebook page um for getting euro and indirectly me into it and um now that i'm into it i um as you said, it, it, it is really fun to see others that are into that hobby. Um, and you're right; there are some uh, there are some people that are really into it and collect just for the sake of, of collecting and making their own uh, their own museums. Um, sure, yeah. And um, Phil, Victor Bart, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another another uh, Facebook uh, area and another podcast that I listen to regularly um, that I like uh, a lot is the Upper Memory Block podcast. Oh yes, that's an that's another one of those that got me into uh, wanting to make my own podcast. Uh, was I was seeing uh, um, I was seeing Joe, uh, who's the who's the uh, host of the Upper Memory Block podcast. Um, I was I was listening to him. I um, 
and I would also watch uh, him on YouTube and everything. Uh, he's been a, a tremendous inspiration for, for me and, um, and, and has been a, a tremendous inspiration for, for this podcast. So thank you as well. Yes, thank you. And one last one that I want to mention, uh, unless, Chris, you can read my mind. Uh, Dos Nostalgia, Anatoly. Yes, yes, Anatoly. Thank you. That's another one that I really like to listen to, uh, the um, Dos Nostalgia podcast. Um, it's great. And I think that the first one that I listened to was the Doom one, but then I started listening to all the other ones uh, as well. And um, that's another one that I that I really enjoy, just, just kind of – and actually, I was listening to it while I would do my walks in the park. And I would listen to Anatoly's podcast. Uh, it's great. And actually, it's, it's awesome that Anatoly knows about uh, Alley Cat because Alley Cat was one of my first games that I've ever played. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just great. And there is a real value um, to, um, to, the, to those podcasts and to the uh, Retro Computing Facebook groups uh, group. And I think there's, there's, no, there's a couple of groups out there. Uh, but a lot of this stuff was pre-internet. So there, there isn't that much. Uh, some of the stuff is difficult to Google search for. So sites like Vogons and um, people that are still into it that are um, putting that information out there. Without them, there will be no way for others to learn about uh, what computing was like back then. I agree. It's. Uh, I'm really glad that people are keeping it alive. Um, I think that that them having that alive has not only inspired me, but will has inspired others and will inspire others uh, to, 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 to do some, some retro collecting and things like that. So, um, so yeah, definitely. I, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, I'm on it right now. I'm looking <laughs> at it and I recognize some of these cases that they're using and everything. It's, it's great. And it actually makes me want to build another DOS machine. So, Oh, um, something else I didn't mention. Um, so I grew up, my, my first computer was Windows 3, Windows 3.1 and DOS, but back then I was, I don't know, 13. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I, I, I didn't have any real, real level of expertise until, uh, maybe five, six years later. And by then we were, we were well past DOS and learning how to do this stuff right, uh, coming at it from a much more knowledgeable perspective has been very enlightening and learning how to set up our own, um, our own, our own config sys menus and learning how to do good memory management, uh, learning how to order the program, uh, the, uh, learning how to set the order in which the, uh, programs are loaded in order to most efficiently use the upper memory blocks. Um, stuff like that has all been a really fun adventure. Tedious and uh, I'm honestly glad we're past those dark ages for actual work, but I'm also glad to have learned it and feel accomplished for having mastered some of the stuff that I didn't when I was actively using it for actual work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I knew a little bit about that back then because I had some games that were very challenging to play. Um, one that comes in mind, uh, I believe was made by Microprose called echelon and that that game just it was a nightmare to 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 get it running i had to create a boot disk and then the boot disk wouldn't work right and i had to i had to learn how to prioritize what 
what gets loaded um, in order to finally be able to have enough memory to play it. But uh, but yeah, definitely uh, that game that game uh, comes to mind. Um, you know, surprisingly enough, the, the easiest game for me to run was was Wolfenstein 3D. That yeah. just it, it just seemed to always run. I never needed a, a, a floppy disk or anything like that. It just always ran. Um, I don't even know what to do to make it not run. <laughs> so, actually, now that we're talking about that, what what do you think, uh, Chris? Uh, uh, did you have any uh, favorite games back then when you were when you were a kid in middle school? Uh, definitely Wolfenstein. I think I always had a floppy disk in my pocket that had Wolfenstein on it. And anytime I would go into a computer lab, I think we had IBM PS twos, and I would play it on the uh, play it there. I to lower the the screen size a little bit and it was through the pc speaker but yeah i was always playing wolfenstein and then after that uh, i think my you know i actually never i got into heretic before i got into doom and um heretic was definitely one of my favorites um hmm. that's interesting i definitely got into doom first but uh um heretic was to me so much like doom that uh i would always rather play doom <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, you know another thing that I really liked. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Good. Mega Race. Oh yes, Mega Race. I, uh, Mega Race and Siberia. Uh, those are just Siberia. two classic DOS games. And um, I have a funny story about Siberia. When you're done, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, my the, the thing about it is, uh, we we had Siberia. And my dad bought it for me. It was fifty dollars back in 1994 when it was released. Uh, I got it on the day of release. Uh, I believe we went to CompUSA. And uh, anyway, uh, so so I, I played a lot, and uh, I think I may have gotten in trouble or something like that. And my dad uh, said, okay, that's it. I am, I'm returning it. And no. Uh, no, no, don't return it and everything. So he took the box, uh, and, and anyway, he returned it. He, t- he took it back to CompUSA. And I think to make up for it, he bought me a couple of shareware uh, floppies or something like that. Uh, but anyway, the funny thing is, is that I still had the CD in my CD drive of Siberia when he returned it, and they didn't even check the box. <laughs> they just, oh, okay, no problem, and they returned it. So, um, so yeah, uh, to this day, I still have my original Siberia disc. Wow. And that was back when you could return software before right. uh, yeah. they stopped allowing it because of copying. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um you know, that's funny that I mentioned that shareware disc too, because they were actually, it came in two CDs. This, it was the, uh, the 1001 shareware games. Uh, I don't know if it said of all times or something like that at the end, but, uh, this CD, it has two, it was two CDs with a thousand, thousand and one games. And I still have those as well. I have that. I still have my original, um, descent disc that I, that I, uh, that my parents bought for me back then. Um, I have my original uh, Return to Zork. So I, another thing is I was really into adventure gaming, like uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, uh, later on Monkey Island 3, and um, that's that's where I stopped, actually, <laughs> after Monkey Island 3. But uh, Zork was another really big one for me, and so I have my the original uh, Return to Zork CD. Um, so uh, King's Quest Six, I have that CD as well. Um, yeah, I kept uh, quite a few of my uh, original DOS uh, CDs, and I'm I'm glad I did. Um, I'm able to install them now and, and fully play them. <clears throat> back on the topic of doing things that the operating systems couldn't do back then, didn't you find a way to get 
uh, USB mass storage going? Yes. Um, so there's a driver out there. Um, I don't know if it's made by Panasonic. I'm not sure. Uh, but there is a driver out there that you can load into auto exec and to your auto exec and it'll, um, it'll load that driver for you. It'll pick up whatever you have in your, uh, USB, um, if it's a storage device and it'll load it and put it up as a uh, separate hard drive. So, um, it's, it's not too hard to, uh, to set up, but it does use some of, some of the expanded memory. So you have to watch out for that. Um, also, if you take out the USB stick and you put it back in, um, later or whatnot, it won't work. You have to, you have to turn off your computer, turn it back on. Um, and if you start your computer up and you don't have the USB stick in there, uh, it won't work. Like if you, if you later on want to put in the USB stick and the machine's on, so you have to restart again. Right. No concept so, of plug and play back then. No, no, yeah, no, no plug and play there. It was just, uh, it was just, it worked or it didn't. So... Um, another thing too is, uh, I'm really glad that they made, uh, further developments with Windows 98, although I have a feeling that you're not, that, that you don't really like it too much. Uh, <laughs> the service, unofficial service pack three has worked really well for me and I really like the kernel extensions so I can install things like Firefox and things that would normally be impossible to install Windows 98. So I, so I can still surf the internet with my Windows 98 machine, although it's, it, it, although it's incredibly dangerous and probably shouldn't be done without without being behind a firewall um, or, or zone alarm, <laughs> zone alarm. That uh, is, but uh, yeah, that is quite an achievement. Uh, both of those. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, talented software, talented software engineers with um, in their free time extended the the Windows ninety eight kernel, like really dug into it into the deep dark underbelly of that honestly in my opinion horrible toy operating system and uh and made it able to run more modern software um so yeah props all right i have all that and uh installed and and it worked great um i thought about maybe playing around with the dreaded windows millennium (laughs) edition (laughs) but but it just works so great that i don't want to ruin it no. Maybe maybe if I had one of those SD cards like you have, no one has. Uh, I could no one has on nostalgia there. for Windows ME. No one. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I've seen some retro, uh, some posts on retro machines, but uh, but yeah, um, actually Windows 2000. Now I've seen some posts people putting Windows 2000 on their machines, uh, and even Windows XP. But I'm I'm seeing a lot of Windows 2000 uh, nowadays. Okay, I take so. it back. Someone somewhere has nostalgia for Windows ME, and I'm sorry to anyone who does. I have post-traumatic stress stress disorder from Windows ME. Um, I I loved Windows 2000, though. Me too. Uh, It was great unless you didn't have the right driver. Yeah. Then then it could be a nightmare, and then the blue screens. But other if you had everything, all the all the drivers that you needed, and your hardware just worked. Oh, absolutely! It was an it was a great operating system. Um, I I I totally agree with you. Um. I would install it again, actually, if if this wasn't running so perfect. So, and that's the problem. Yeah. Once you get it running perfect, you you still want to mess with it. Oh, absolutely. I I've been wanting to find some hardware to change on this. I just I haven't really figured out what yet. Um, I'll think of something. <laughs> I think my next adventure for this stuff is going to be OS two. Ooh. So are you going to get a, a different SD card for that? Already have it. Since you have the ability to just yep. Already have it. Yep. Great. 
Um, so, I don't. I don't have to dual boot. I don't, I don't have to dual boot. Um, the uh, compact has a little swinging door that exposed the C- the uh, CD-ROM drive, and it had a little. It has a little spare bay um, below the CD-ROM drive, and so I pulled off the cover uh, for that spare bay, and I rigged up the um, SD card, SD to IDE card adapter, to where it's front facing. And so I can swing the door open, easily pop out the SD card, pop in a new one, turn the machine back on. I don't have to open up the case at all. Very neat. Oh, that's great. It did take some wizardry with uh, zip ties. It wasn't very easy to mount in place, but it works now. Cool. Okay, great. Um, I think that's um, really all I have. I mean, uh, I, I could go on and gush about how fun it is and um, show appreciation for everyone else that's gotten you and me into it and um but we've already done that um i just wanted to quickly mention two things first is the the name of that person that uh, had recommended to me the sound card was carlos tejera um so he was on the dos nostalgia podcast uh, number 11 the evolution of ibm pc hardware um so that's that's the person and um and the other thing that i wanted to mention was that uh, it's actually not that hard to find dos games uh, and I'm not uh, I'm not gonna say that uh, you know piracy is great or anything like that. Although it is a little bit difficult to find some of these games if you're not gonna go the GOG route or anything like that. But a great resource for that is the um, the Internet Archive. So um, at archive.org at archive.org, and you can play so, them on the website with a JavaScript DOS box emulator. That's right. You don't even have to buy anything. You just go on there and and uh, and and um, and play these games so you could do that um although they do have torrents on their on on the archive.org site themselves uh to to download some of these games and uh and play them on your machine so um i'm just saying it's on archive.org if you're if you're wanting to play some of these dos games or if you just want to play them directly on the site itself um you know uh it's uh either way is good and I found that the the uh, GOG, uh, um, also called Good Old Games at GOG.com, is a great is a great route to go to. While the uh, DOS games do come with a pre set up instance of DOSBox, many of them you can take take the files, drop them onto a DOS machine, and just run it. Others are a little more tricky. For example, many games came with uh, multi came on multi session CDs, so it would have, they'll be broken up into multiple tracks. One, the first track would be a large data track that contained the game data, and then the other tracks were standard CD, CD audio tracks. And so with GOG, um, DOS games, it has those broken up into, it, it has the audio tracks broken up into either AUG files or maybe MP3 files, and the DOS box, the DOS box configuration set up to look at those as if they were the CD tracks. So in cases like that, if you want to use them on a regular DOS machine and have it work as intended with the CD audio going, you have to create your own multi-session CD from those assets, and it's certainly very doable, kind of a pain. But once you have the process down, it's the same for all those games. What was the software that you were using? Um, or there's actually software also for windows that I, uh, that I used back then. Um, I have to look at, I have to look that up now. I didn't, I didn't actually, uh, find the name. Do you remember it? The, the software that would, uh, 
that would allow you to burn uh, multi-audio CDs? Um, multi-session CDs, sorry. I was using K3B under Linux. Okay, K3B. But um, there was another I know if you for have Windows, a multi-session but... image, um, mm-hmm. under Linux, those are just a gigantic pain to burn. It, the, it always screws up the audio. So I, I wound up using IMG Burn under Wine. IMG Burn also uh, burns multi-session uh, CDs, right? Um, if it's a multi-session image, yes. Multi-session image. I just uh, I thought I used something else, uh, but I can't remember the name. Oh, you know what? I was actually using alcohol. Uh, alcohol 120. Yes. Right. Right. That's what I was using. Definitely not Nero burning ROM or anything like that. Oh, I completely forgot about Nero. Right. I used to use it a lot back then, uh, and Roxio, um, Roxio also. But all the alcohol 120 uh, was my favorite. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess you could just use Image Burn now. You know. Why not? So, great. Um, well, I, I don't really have anything else. Nor I. This has been really fun to talk about. It has been. Um, I feel like this was a good choice for our 10th episode. Yay! 10th episode! <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's certainly keep it going. Um, well, if, uh, if anybody uh, has any other suggestions of things they would like for us to talk about, or even would like to be on our show, um, I... I highly, um, I would really like uh, to to have uh, people join and uh, and uh, and us for us to talk about different things, uh, things that people uh, want to talk about. Um, so, do you want um, to tell um, tell our listeners how to contact us? So you can go on the Facebook page. Uh, we do have a uh, a Fork Bomb podcast on on Facebook. So you just type in fork bomb. Uh, you can type in fork bomb technology and other nerdy stuff. Um, so, but if you just type fork bomb in general, you'll see us. Uh, it has the picture of a bomb and a fork. So, <laughs> uh, and um, and it'll say podcast on it. I'll so. also link to it in the uh, show notes. Right. Yes. Uh, so you can find us on uh, on Facebook. Um, actually, if you just type in at for at fork bomb podcast you'll find us so that's probably the easiest and and then we also have our page um um fork bomb.podbeam.com um that's what we're using right now our twitter account fork bomb podcast um you can also reach us at fork bomb podcast at gmail.com um so many different ways we want to hear from you uh if you guys want to talk about your own DOS machines, we'd love to hear that too. So we can have a whole other episode talking about your own DOS machines. Uh, so definitely let us know. Uh, and uh, and we'll be more than glad to uh, invite you to the show and, and talk and everything. So um, I really in- encourage everyone to to go ahead and um, and reach out. Yes, please. We would love to hear from you. I would um, think it would be a great addition to the show. And we would love to get... Uh, suggestions on more topics that we can possibly talk about. Um, I think I have a few more lined up, but at some point we're going to run out. Yep. I mean, you know, we have a long list, so we're doing okay, but uh, we would definitely uh, like to to get more input. So, All right, well, um, Great. Euro, thank you, as always, for the uh, fun and engaging conversation. Thank you, Chris. All right, and good, good night. Good night.